You're listening to Deep Dive with Ayodele Adio, an in-depth conversation with interesting individuals who are making a difference in politics, entertainment, sports, and society. Thank you for joining us on the Deep Dive today. Pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. Great, great. So you certainly are one of um, the very few... Um, political thinkers in the PDP and perhaps um, the Nigerian political space in its entirety. Um, but, but first, let me ask you when your love affair with politics began. Was it something um, that you picked from your parents at home? When did this whole love affair with politics uh, begin with you? <clears throat> um, I mean, I could, I could be corny and say that, you know, like um, uh, our musicians say that, you know, was from when I was four or five years old. <laughs> but I think, you know, the only role that my parents played was um, that my dad always had newspapers around. And because it was the days of the military, much of the news at that time was about, you know, political involvement, leadership, and so on. And I got, you know, into reading it. And, um, and that was it, basically. I just used to read a lot. Um, up till the time I got into the university, I wasn't um, particularly fascinated, fascinated with politics. I just wanted to have a good time on campus, you know, and um, and do my thing. But I then realized that I went for um, a student representative council meeting. That's like the legislative arm of the student union. I went for the meeting and I was asked to comment. And because of my informed background about politics, you know, things I had picked up, you know, I was able to just, you know, talk and everyone was impressed. And um, that began the, the the journey, so to speak, you know, I eventually ended up becoming PR of the Students' Union. And um, after graduation, I also wanted, um, I also got involved in politics. So by, by this time, we had been exposed to different yeah, politicians. Yes, and so, we're going to get to that so, point. So, so, but, <laughs> so that was it, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting how newspapers... Um, influenced a lot of young people back in the day and for some reason it no, it no longer does as it used to but that that's a story for another day but you went on to school to play politics and like you said yes, you became PRO and tell me what it was like playing politics in campus and perhaps um, what the changing environment has been in, in campus today and talking about po- the political nature of campus unions and you know politics generally on campus how it's changed since your time um, when you played politics in, in university days well I mean at that time you know it was the transition period it was um, under the government of uh, Richard Gobasanjo and um, the biggest thing that was happening at that time was that we were moving from um, the violent kind of aluta which had happened under the military regime um, we're moving to a more intellectual um, discourse. We used to call it scientific aluta. Hmm. This is, you know, I mean, the democratic government <laughs> were in place. Uh, and so what the Democrats would do, the governors would invite you to come and sit down and make your case. And we had several students, you know, leaders who were good on, you know, all the slogans and so on, but they couldn't sit to negotiate with the governor. So when the governor says, lay your demands, you know, the grammar is bad, you can't speak. So there was, I think there was at that time, a need for some of us to come in who could sit with governors and, you know, make positions clear, say this is what the students want, and then they, they would um, accede to our demand. So, that was what it was at that time. Um, but I think over time, it has also become more 
that connection, what we wanted was leaders who could, um, students union leaders who could sit down with governors to advocate for the students. Um, now, I think it's at a point where the people who are advocating for the students have now become too close to those who are in power. Yeah. And so yeah. what most of them are doing basically is politics or trying to position themselves, you know, for the future. And there's really nobody taking um, the side of the students. So I, I, uh, that, that, that's where I think, you know, it is at today. You are a great admirer of, of, of Chief Bolaike. Um, not just an admirer, probably like a student. And in some ways, he's like your spiritual father in the political space, basically. Um, what is it about Chief Bolaike? What was it about Chief Bolaike that... Um, made you fall in love with his politics, fall in love with his ideology. What was special about the man? I think the quality of his thoughts. Chibolegi was somebody who could, um, he was not just a deep thinker, he was somebody who communicates his thoughts quite clearly. Um, he had just one page to to write his um, column in the Sunday Tribune back then, Uncle Bola's column, and he would expound his thoughts on various ideas within that one page. And in, you, he wrote in such a compelling way that um, you had to admire him. Um, also, listening to him speak was always a it, it, it was it was just magnificent, um, and then also beyond that, you know, was his love for humanity. He was one politician. I mean, he made me fall in love with politics, and I think you know a lot of people these days are afraid of politics because of the kind of politicians that they are exposed to. Um, Chibolaige being exposed to Chibolaige made me it made me see. Um, the politician as somebody who has a deep love for humanity, who has a deep love for the people, you know, and 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 that has always been my uh, my sort of focus. My so I I think you know he's my lodestar in that direction. That look, whenever you talk of the Nigerian politician, for me, I don't see your regular type of money back politicians or people who just want to make money. I see a politician as somebody who is committed to the service of the people, and um, and I think you know that's the part I want to walk. That's the part that I want to tread in. You touched on something very interesting, which is one thing I really want to talk to you about, which is the fact that the politician in that day um, was the intellectual, because he had either a newspaper column um, to express his political ideology, or he engaged with his constituents regularly, and so people could feel um, the thoughts of their political leader, whether it was Ike, whether it was um, Baba Kekere, which is Latif Jakonde. Um, in fact, even politicians from the North, the Adamuchiromas, for instance, had columns that they wrote. Um, but today, there is there seems to be this huge lacuna between the politician and their thoughts. Um, and why is that? Is it because they no longer um, have to write columns? They no longer have to engage? Or is it the quality of the voters? And it's strange to talk about the quality of the voters because we're supposed to have better educated people in Nigeria today than we had in the 80s and the early 90s. But can you explain that? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I see it now. You know, I see it now, and and it's so true. There's that, um, there's that lacuna. People don't have, but but you know, so it's it's obviously there. Um, but you know, at that time, even at that time, it wasn't necessarily every politician that was right. Yeah, yeah. But you know, but a lot of them used to like to put out their thoughts. Um, I think what we can say is that these days, social media is there, although too much of it um, is too. Um, <laughs> how do I put it now? It's too sort of regimented. It's too. 
restricted. You know, you know, it's not the politician tweeting. <laughs> it's probably some guy who's tweeting on his behalf who's helping yeah. him refine his thoughts. Yeah. And you know, I think it's important. You know that let's have politicians. You know, the way it is in, for instance, in American politics. Yeah. You know where you know that you know if um, Alexandra Ocasio Cortez tweets something, you know it's at all. You know, you know, yeah, yeah. You know there's there's yeah. more chance that she yeah. tweeted it. Ted Cruz is also tweeting his own thoughts. Yeah. So I think you know if we have more politicians on social media who actually tweet for themselves, let's get on the same page. Let's know what our politicians are thinking. But I think you are right. You know, there's there's that there's that um, lacuna um, at this time. It's there. Before we talk about um, before we go into the politics um, conversation proper, I just like to know how you joined the PDP. Um, what led you to joining the party and why you decided to um, join the PDP? Because you come from the part of the country where normally people would think you'd be a progressive in quote progressive and join the party of the progressives. But um, for some reason, you joined the PDP. Why was that, and what um, drew you to the PDP? I think I was I was exposed to the Alliance for Democracy quite early. Um, you know, the students, you know, leader, you know, we had our meetings with them. They were in the opposition at that time. Yeah. And then where we were, our students, you know, leaders in the Kitty State were fighting with the government of, um, Peter Fayoshe at that time, you know, and, um, the AD was, you know, making some offers to us, you know, trying to use us basically. I mean, they succeeded with some of my other colleagues. So I felt, look, this Alliance for Democracy, and they're always on the pages of the newspaper saying this thing that, you know, this moral thing, this moral of ideas, but look, look at what you guys are doing, you know, so, and I think that cured me of my love for the AD very quickly. Um, and I was in a neutral position until sometime, I think, in 2010, you know, when I wasn't comfortable with the way Governor Rajivashwala was governing the state. I felt he was quite elitist. I felt the fact that he wasn't focused on low-cost housing estates. I thought I thought it was just elitist, basically, you know, developing these some parts of the of the state at the detriment of other parts of the state, you know, more like a tourist governor from the airport all the way to, to the island. He wanted it to look good, but the hinterlands weren't being developed. And I just wanted somebody else who was running. And it was, I went on Facebook and I Googled, um, you know, I went on Facebook and did a search and told people, look, I want to know those people who are running against this guy, BRF. Um, and I found someone, Babatunde Olaleri Badamasi. And we got close, you know, from 2010. Um, by January 2011, I was his um, online campaign coordinator, you know. And even though he lost the primaries at that time, um, shortly after that, I registered as a PDP card carry member. And um, I've never looked back since then. <laughs> I've never looked back since then. I've never regretted, regretted that decision. And, and since we're talking politics now, you just touched on something that you have gotten a lot of criticism for you said while you were in school and the AD were trying to woo you over to their side you always saw their thoughts on the pages of newspaper even when they were in the opposition so they were visible they were yeah. they were running a proper opposition campaign and they were everywhere the PDP have somewhat been important in running um, a proper opposition against first in Lagos state and and Nigeria as a whole is it the case that um, you have been s- you spent about how many years in power? 16 years in power, and that made you a bit arrogant and forgotten the role of the opposition, or you just don't have the capabilities, um, you know, to, to, to produce effective opposition. I think I think the major thing with that is um, the kind of structure or the nature of both parties. Now, the AD at that time, you know, whether it was AD, whether it was ACN, whether it was um, AC, they always had a central figure. At that time, you know, especially after the other governors lost, Polatinubu was the um, key person in that party. And his chief of staff, Lai Mohamed, now became the public secretary of their party. So it was easy for them to sit down in one room and decide 
just to criticize anything you know that was going wrong in the politics there was basically nobody to question them um with the pdp it's a bit different um the party has different power bases and so trying to ensure that everybody is you know their thoughts are the same on what you are trying to put out is quite difficult because you know you can say something about the government of um, Muhammadu Buhari and your members up north feel that you know it's mm. because you are being too harsh on them because PDP has members everywhere. Yeah. When ACN and these guys were doing it from the southwest, I mean, there was a time I remember that they released a statement that was um, a bit um, that was a bit insulting to people from the Niger Delta when Gulag Jonathan was there. And Lai Mohamed writes in his book that their members from the Niger Delta felt bad about it. But he wasn't going to care that he just wanted to win power. <laughs> and so he didn't care because really Bola Tinubu was his boss. You know, he wasn't he wasn't concerned with what those guys in Niger Delta were thinking. But in PDP, I mean you have to care because you, know, yeah. you have a weekend in the South South, you have a Shinimaki in the Southwest, you have a Goro from the Southeast. So you just have to be careful, you know. Um, but again, you know, that's not I don't really think that should be an excuse. Um, I just think that, you know, PDP is different in terms of structure, in terms of nature. Um, PDP is a party that um, is not, is not, it doesn't dwell too much on opposition. But I think the most important thing for us to realize is that the major thing that the All Progressive Congress has shown us is that um, your ability to play opposition is not synonymous to your ability to govern. <laughs> the fact that you know how to do good, good opposition doesn't mean that you know how to how, how to govern well. Yes, yes, so I think that that settles. Let's it for talk me. about your party in Lagos State. It's been incapable of putting forward a very strong opposition against the APC in Lagos State. Many would even argue that the PDP Lagos is one of the most ineffective PDPs in Nigeria. I mean, it's almost as good as um, you know. Once you get a ticket on the APC side, you're as good as <laughs> getting elected. In <laughs> to office what is the problem with lagos uh, you know pdp is it is it an administrative problem is it a leadership problem um or is it that you have double agents everywhere who are playing on both sides what what really is the problem with, with pdp lagos to be honest I, I don't know <laughs> i i really i really i mean i think it's a mix of everything it's a mix of everything in the past um, few months you know um pdp lagos has been quite quite chaotic you know it has been quite chaotic from the postponed congresses to elect state expo to the um house of assembly congresses to the house of reps congresses till today in so many places we still don't know who the candidate is for the House of Rep, Rep's election. Of course, um, BDP Lagos is like a microcosm of PDP at the national level. It's just that at the national level, they know how to manage things better. In Because you, PDP is not a party where one person just stays somewhere and says, everybody go in this direction. And the truth is, like somebody said, that, you know, a group of ants, you know, acting in a single direction can sometimes be stronger than cockroaches all over the place. Mm. You know, what we have, you know, is there are too many people in Lagos PDP who have an idea that they know what to do. And so everybody is sort of a leader unto himself, you know, so this person thinks he's the best, that person thinks. There's just so much of that, you know, there's just so and, and you know, and we keep saying that, look, let's channel these energies outwards. Channel it against the APC. Don't channel it on the inside. Don't channel it against each other as party members. You Okay, so you have connections in Abuja. Why are you using the connections in Abuja to, to take somebody else's ticket <laughs> here within the party? Why not use those connections in Abuja to defeat APC, 
you know, so you know how to go to the media to speak. Why are you getting on platforms and insulting your leaders within the party? But we never hear your voice when you are, when you want to criticize the governor. So I think you know, Lagos PDP is, <laughs> and I say this, you know, with every sense of responsibility. Yes. I think it's just a mix of it's just a mix of so I, many things. I also honestly. know that you have been because you run for publicity secretary of Lagos. <laughs> yes, I and, do. and if you asked me, any right-thinking political party. Um, should even let anybody run against you because you've done, uh, you know, quite frankly, an impressive job um, trying to publicize the party. And I thought you were going to get that ticket on the platter of gold. Imagine my shock um, <laughs> to see you reading the books of Lamentations. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right after the election. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Actually, I'm not sure. Actually, but 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 I mean, I mean, I mean. To what be what fair. happened, please? Because nobody still can explain what happened. What happened? In that election, well, to be fair, um, our leader in the southwest government, Makede, I had his backing 100%. Um, I had his backing, um, I had the backing of so many national leaders, you know. Um, um, I had the backing of all the beauty members from Lagos, everybody agreed. Demola Olaiwaju was the man for the job. I had, I had utmost backing. You know, I had utmost backing from everywhere. It was good, it was solid, it was fantastic. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, I sat, even at that time as an aspirant, I sat in meetings where decisions were being taken over other aspirants because by that time I had become the unofficial MC. You know, so when they were doing their leaders' meeting, they would tell me to come around, to come and introduce, you know, the various people sitting down and so on. And so being in those meetings, you know... Um, uh, as a matter of fact, our leaders used to say that there were just two people that were unopposed. The legal advisor who was the only person that purchased her own form and um, Demola Iwaju publicity. Of course, people bought forms also, but they were saying this is the guy that we're going to use. But come Congress Day, you know, a governor from the South out came in um, to look at the consensus list that all the leaders had done and then allowed a small group within the party to manipulate the entire exercise. Because um, 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 I mean, all the leaders, all the various groups had managed to harmonize. They had come up with a list. So this was where it was going to go and it was balanced. And we did that because everybody felt, look, if we go to this Congress and one group wins, wins all the others, then it becomes a problem um, because, you know, we go into the election as a divided force. And so all the major leaders within the party all sat down and all agreed on a common list that these are the consensus candidates. Uh, I was common to all the major groups within the party. Everybody said, but there was this small fringe group. And, and you know, um, and I don't want to be disrespectful of them because, you know, by legally, they are now the ones in office, you know, so I'm not being disrespectful of them in any way. I'm just saying that this is actually what happened. But, you know, but, you know, so the small fringe group, you know, a minority group, to be fair, you know, they, they managed to... Um, to, to get the governor to rescind his decision because he came to the Congress, Congress venue and announced that leaders had harmonized. But the small fringe group insisted on elections. And, you know, we went into the, the elections, but by then our members were already leaving. Most of our supporters, our delegates were already leaving because where the party constitution says that where you have harmonization, where you have consensus, that, you know, the party should make efforts for first for consensus, um, and then before you go to elections. So we had achieved consensus already, and so there was no need for elections in the first place. But then, you know, elections were, and this was on a Sunday night. So we started this Congress on a Sunday night and went all the way until Monday morning. So people had left, you know, the Congress venue. People felt, oh, this consensus had been achieved. Only for people to hear the following day that, you know, a small group had been declared as, well as winner. But it's legal anyway. I mean, it is politics. Some of our people, some of our leaders are in court over it. I am not, you know, so interested in that 
that process. I've congratulated them, and you know, we're just I mean, trying to get the party to win in 2023. I mean, if that didn't shock me, I would say that um, the Banky W's case embarrassed me, and, and I'd like you to also speak to that because we all saw, I mean, uh, we, all, we, all, we all saw on our social media accounts, and I'm sure that. You know, in Banky's mind, um, while those votes were counted, you know, and his team, they were putting it um, out to the entire world to show um, what people can achieve if you believe. And 24 hours later, what we all saw with our eyes, what we all counted together, and the man we celebrated with, it became an entire fiasco 24 hours later. Can you explain to a sensible person who, who who saw that video, who saw the counts, and the next day, Banky wasn't the candidate of the people. Well, what you saw the next day, let's be fair, what you saw the next day wasn't confirmed. Is it confirmed now? No, it's not. It's, no, it's not. It's not. Because you see, with the case of Lagos, with the yes. case of Lagos, whatever happens in Lagos PDP, yes. is the NWC that has the final say. So even on this state congress matter, for a long time, you know, we had, um, we, we weren't sure I wasn't sure whether to, and that's why I said I didn't read the book of Lamentations. <laughs> I wasn't sure whether to lament or whether to be rejoicing because we didn't even know which one national was going to accept, whether they were going to accept the kangaroo elections that had happened or they were going to accept the consensus list from our leaders. So if it was the consensus list, it was going to be me. If it was the kangaroo congress, it was going to be the other guys, yeah. you know. And so, so with Banky's case, you know, um, I believe that he's going to be announced eventually. Because I think it's going to be a very, very terrible, not, not only because he actually won, but also because, I mean, we have to, at some point, sit down and ask ourselves as a political party, how seriously do we want the public to take mm. us, you know? So, I think, you know, I, I believe, and Banky, um, I've spoken with him, we spoke over the weekend, and, you know, a lot of us are... Yeah, in fact, I tweeted about the issue and it was to let people know that, look, this is wrong. And um, even after that tweet, some of our party leaders got in touch and said, look, what's this about? Um, the interesting thing is, uh, it wasn't just Banky that was affected. A lot of people... <laughs> well, because Banky is the most renowned member, he's the only one that I can say that his matter... I know I know people who, who felt they won on ground. Let me put it that way. They yes. felt they won on ground. But by the time they had the announcement, you know... So, and, and, you know, and that's how it happens, you know, because the national is here to speak on it um, and at some point they are going to you know make a declarative statement about it and I know that and say that these are the winners or these are the names that we're going to submit to INEC yeah. I have very strong belief that Ulubankole Wellington is going to be our um, candidate for the House of Reps uh, constituency sitting in at local government I mean I think I mean and I'm just saying this if, if you're going to be an effective opposition in Lagos State you must at least show yourself um, you know as a fair opposition party and People like Banky have the ability to bring people on the fence into the party. And yes. when he's treated like that, he could, um, you know, have setting. But let's talk a bit about your national politics. Atiku Abubakar has been um, uh, nominated as the party's candidate um, for a second time running. Um, people thought the ticket was going to go to a southerner. And let me ask you honestly, did... did um, do you think that the mood of the country will really support the emergence of a northern candidate, especially someone like Atiku Abubakar, who's been running for, for 30 years now? I mean, um, you surely should agree that people want a southern candidate. And how does that play no, out? With no, I think, I, think, I think people want a fair president. Um, and I say that, you know, because 
Look, I don't think the ordinary man on the street cares about these things that we're bringing up. It's the political elites that are bringing up this issue of, um, um, what's it called now? This issue of um, ethnicity or where the next president comes from. I think the ordinary man on the street just wants a president that's going to be do right by him. Um, and again, much of the reaction is based is down to the ethnic politics that Mamadou Bari has been playing. If Mamadou Bari had been a fair president... People wouldn't bother so much about the ethnicity of the next president. If you had been a president who, as a Yoruba, as an Igbo person, you were guaranteed a measure of um, political determination um, or political recognition under him, he was running an inclusive government. I don't think we would have this, this this issue ongoing because again he's not the first fuller need to govern this country. We had Umaru Musayadra. The um, separatist agitations were not as much as this. So I think a lot of it is down to Muhammadu Bari. But I think at the end of the day, people are going to ask themselves a question: Do you want a political party or do you want a candidate that can make your life better? Whether he's from the north, whether he's from the south, whether he's a Muslim or whether he's Christian, or you want somebody simply on the basis of um, on the basis of. Um, ethnic identity or because you know we talk a lot about identity politics the truth is it's those of us who feel that we have a certain identity um who feel that you know because the fact that you are yoruba makes you um a certain way in a certain political group or the fact that you are full makes you a certain way in a certain political group that's why we play that kind of politics but the people on the streets who are hungry they don't care whether it's a full man bringing the food or an Igbo man or a yoruba man or a niger delta man they don't care about that you know so i think i don't think you know um i think this issue is and and Again, we have a political reader out there. We have, we have a political antenna up. We are looking at the whole situation, and I think that you know we 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 took a calculated risk. I mean, the argument people make is that your party um, started, in fact, institutionalized um, um, presidential rotation, if you'd like. Um, and I like you to address this because, in my own thinking. Um, if if Obasanjo had eight years from the southwest, Omori Yaradua had um, two. Um, Jonathan completed that, which means um, you know Jonathan had six years. Um, after Jonathan's six years, which is seen as the southern party, um, it should go back to the north. Technically speaking, is that? What this was about, uh, really? Oh well, not 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 really. Um, the idea is that a party in the opposition cannot um, cannot be too preoccupied with zoning because the truth is, what exactly are you zoning? You are not zoning anything but positions in opposition, you know. Um, so there's no point zoning power when you don't have power. The APC can rightly zone uh, because APC is in power now, so they can. There's something to zone. Um, the PDP cannot zone. When PDP was in power, PDP used to zone to the north to the south, and of course, you know, this argument did come up that. The South has spent more years in power on behalf of PDP than yeah. the North. Um, but it I'm wasn't a consideration. I'm not so many well, well, I mean, I mean, those things are going to come up if you know for, for in, in on platforms where the discussion comes up. But I think you know the election of His Excellency Atuku Abubakar as the president of the party was a victory, not just for democracy, but a victory for a unity message, which is what PDP has been about all along. PDP has been about a unity party. PDP is not it's not a southern party like some people think it is. It's not a northern party. You know, PDP is a Nigerian party. Started from G34. Every single state in Nigeria had a delegate coming up to that meeting 
at that time, you know. So that's the kind of party that is a nationalist party. And Atiku Abubakar carefully picked his campaign message to be that of unity. He called himself the unifier. Basically, and so he won northern votes, yeah. he won southern votes, yeah. And you know, I think you know, if we carry that momentum into the general election, it's going to be a winning so, election. So, I think that the person who is going to win the next election is the person who is able to convince the people in the middle, because uh, nobody's coming with a guarantee 12 million votes any longer. Neither, because the truth is, if we know Buhari for who he is, he's not going to campaign around the country for anybody, he's going to go back home to Buhari. <laughs> All right, so. There's no undue influence anywhere. Yeah, so it's yes. your ability to convince the people in the middle to switch left or right. The question I'd like to ask is, Atiku Abubakar, for all its worth, for all his accomplishment, comes carries a lot of baggage that has been created by the opposition. Some true, some untrue completely. Um, how do you think he stands a chance against what will be a barrage of accusations that he's corrupt. Um, I mean, it's even started. Some people have gone to court to say he's not a Nigerian. Um, so, so many things play against him. He's over 70. Do they want a president that is that old? Um, he privatized things for himself and his friends. How is he going to attract new voters, especially um, predominantly young voters who are coming to the space? To come onto his side when he's, he appeals to the older generation, uh, when he's perceived as being corrupt and all of that. Well, I think you know a lot of those questions have been answered in the 2019 run. Um, the luck that we have with Atiku is that before the 2019 run, a lot of issues hung over his head, but he was able to address those a lot um, in that election. And then you know he clinched over 11 million votes in the last election, which means 11 million people in this country are willing to have an Atiku back as president. Yeah. So those questions, a lot of those questions have been answered. Um, of course, 2023 is another election season, it's another election year. I think a lot has to be done with this campaign. Um, I think, you know, 2023 is a young people's election, and um, Atika Bak has to work very hard to make his campaign more attractive to young people. Um, in fact, I think, you know, his ability to do that is what will determine whether or not he wins the next election. He has to make his campaign more energetic. Exactly. He has to make it more exciting. So, so, so do you think it was a strategic blunder? to have allowed um, Peter Obi leave the party because he seemed to be the one to have energized um, uh, the younger demography, albeit predominantly people from the Southeast. But I still see that he enjoys a lot of support from certain people in the Southwest um, and he seemed to energize young people. Was it a strategic blunder to have let him leave the party? And can he find somebody else within the party that can mobilize that demography? Well, I, I mean, truth is, I'm not sure what the party would have done to hold him back. I think, you know, um, Peter Obi had become so great, um, so in quotes, within the outside world that the and the image of himself inside the PDP wasn't um, consistent with that. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, you have you have someone like Dili Momodu who's great in the um, journalistic world, who's has a, he has been everywhere, but when it came to the primaries, he scored zero votes. Mm. You know, so I think you know sometimes politicians have a sense of what's coming. They know that you know if I go to this primaries, <laughs> I don't want to come out with zero votes. I don't want to come out with zero votes, and, and then they adapt that situation, yeah. brother, because at least. Um, most of the presidential uh, aspirants in that race, they were guaranteed of the votes from their state. 
you know. So if, so, so if you're just going to get the votes from your state for yourself alone, it was enough to save your face politically. Someone like former President Payosahim was able to get, um, I think, about 18 votes, um, about 16 votes. Um, the, his local government, Ebony, Ebony, has about 18 local governments. So he was able to clear that, you know. So when it became clear that that wasn't going to happen, I think someone decided, look, I need to leave this political party. Um, on whether PDP will be able to replicate that kind of energy, I think, you know, um, I think PDP knows what to do. Um, in order to get that kind of energy. Whether or not the party actually does that is what um, I do not know if it will do it. But then again, you know, Peter Obi is somebody... I know a lot of people were looking forward to replication of the article will be 2019 tickets. A lot of people yeah. thought that was going to be, be it once again, even when he was running. Um, but I guess, you know, we are not going to see that now. And um, But you know, you know how it is in politics. There's no vacuum. There are a lot of people who are also hoping to be VP to be on that ticket rather than him. Yeah. And I know that, you know, at the top, they are not really thinking about um, who, who has left um or we focus on on who's left but i think you know um so i don't think i don't see what the party could have done really talking seriously who, back. who would be who, which candidate would you um which candidate rattles you the most in the apc um that should he get the ticket come is it monday next week or so um, will give you a bit of a run for your money and will cost you sleepless nights. And which candidate do you think that emerges um, that you can go have a cup of coffee and then begin to share your cabinet before 2023? Well, I think... Um I think I, I think I think um, um, uh, I imagine I imagine that the APC should come south. Um and I'm trying to decide whether to be whether to be honest here or whether to be political. No, you can't, you can't whether, whether, whether to be political to send a wrong signal. But I think you know, Bolatinubu will be a formidable um, candidate. Bolatinubu will be a formidable candidate, not just because he's um, not because he's uh, necessarily the best material, but I think in terms of um, politics, in terms of connections, in terms of um, um, in terms of the kind of politics that he plays, I think you know there's you can find some similarities between him and the core political establishment, and that could be a problem for us. You know, he has deep connections all over the country. Um, he is known as a because for me, look, 2023, you need a president who's a deal maker. Mm. Okay, you need a president who can go to different places and bring the country, bring everybody back to the to the, to the table, you know, that's what you need because the country is too divided. So you need somebody who can bring everybody together. And I think Bolatinubu is that kind of person. But then again, you know, Bolatinubu is also a flawed candidate. You know, he has a lot of enemies within his own political party. A lot of people who don't want to see him emerge. So if a Bolatinubu is there against an article, you have another establishment that is going to be working against Bolatinubu. But then again, you cannot bet that Bolatinubu will not reach out to that establishment and reach deals <laughs> with them to play against you. So I think for me, Bolatinubu's politics is the one that you really cannot get. But but then again, his candidacy is weak because there are a lot of points to hit him on. You know, um, it appears that his health is not as is not as strong as it used to be. Um, his hold on Lagos State is being questioned, you know. But you know, so so yes, yeah, so I think you know, he was the candidate that scares me the most, but he's also the candidate that you could be tempted to go and have a cup of coffee, uh, coffee over. But that's what makes Bolatinibu really formidable. You look <laughs> at you him, can't you can't tell. <laughs> you look at him and think he's weak, and you go to sleep, and the next morning you see the post, the man has gone ahead. So, so I think that's what makes him really formidable. Yeah. Uh, that's what makes him for, uh, formidable in my eyes. Because you look, a lot of Nigerians like to talk online and say that Bolatinibu is not, this man will call in favors for himself. Mm. You know, and he will, he will rattle that election. Mm. So, he has the potential to rattle the election, but he also has the, the potential to crumble 
totally. Mm. You know, twenty twenty three pro. So for me, he's not. Um, is the I would say is this is is that person for me? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Looking at the electoral map, and I mean, before because we're running out of time now. If we look at the electoral map, um, one of the things that made you lose the twenty nineteen election and Atiku losing that ticket was that you lost the states that you normally would win. Hmm. Um, I think you lost states like Taraba. Um, you lost states that um, you know Jonathan and and Obasanjo used to win when they ran against Northern candidates. Um, looking at the electoral map now, if you lose those same states and then run against an APC that is likely to win a state like Lagos um, or Shung, um, maybe a Kitty state because they have governors in these states, the electoral map doesn't look it doesn't look fanciful for you guys. So how are you going to win back those states that you lost in 2019 and then make inroads to these states that are already controlled, um, you know, by the APC? I think um, one of the problems with um, looking at the electoral map in Nigeria is that it doesn't break it down quite well enough. Um, They'll tell you that, you know, the north is a place where, I mean, if we get anything less than 200,000 votes in Kano, you know, despite you know everybody being on the other side now, you have Kwakwan, so they are not in PDP. Yeah. If we get less than two hundred thousand votes in Kano, I would feel bad. Okay. If I see two hundred thousand, if I see two hundred fifty thousand coming from Kano on election day, I'm happy. You know, even though APC will probably do one point five from that state. But if I see our two hundred fifty thousand, because I know there are some local governments in Kano where PDP is a traditional base, traditional base. Yeah. Okay. So so um so we look at the map very deeply. Um, in Yobe, there are two local governments that we know would always come through for PDP. Yeah. In Bauchi, even though when you look at this as a state, you say PDP lost yeah. that state. Yeah. Um, so, you know, which is which again is why I think that, you know, that 2019 result was quite flawed. You know, because you saw local governments that, that had never done had never done 200,000 votes before suddenly doing over 200,000 votes. Especially from the northern areas of the country. You saw Borno State turning just less than just 200,000 votes less than Lagos State. That's but no state where you had a, a bomb blast the day before the election, yeah. and then you still had turnout, voter turnout that was challenging the voter turnout in Lagos. It, it doesn't gel for me, you know. So I really don't look at it like a very a credible um, result, you know. But of course, that's the that's the data that um, we have to work with. But we are also keeping our eyes on previous data and also looking at how it balances. So I think that PDP is going to do well. If there's any place I have um, some fears, it's in the southeast. But then again, you know. It's been, it's been coming over the years. From a time when PDP was in all the five states of the southeast, yes. now you have PDP having just two, two, states, two yeah. states in the southeast. APC has two states in the southeast, yes. and then APGA has one. Yeah. So we've been anticipating it. And the numbers from the southeast have kind of been declining since 2011, yes. 2015. Yeah. In 2019, when we picked a VP from there, the results went down even further. And yeah. for the first time, we had Muhammadu Bari doing 25% from, yeah. Three, yeah. from three southeast states. So, um, so, but we have to pick up those votes elsewhere. I think PDP will do better than usual in the southwest. I think PDP will do better than um, usual in the south-south. You know, um, in the south-south, we traditionally do well, yeah. but we hope that, you know, the governors, they are able to consolidate and um, um, do more. And then I think, you know, we will make inroads into a lot of northern states. Um, Kaduna, I think we're going to do better than ever before. Katina, I think we're going to do quite well. And then there's one more state um, over there that I think, you know, Jigawa. there are quite a few, a few states. Jigawa, I think, will, will, do, will do quite well. Now, we might not necessarily do, win, carry the state, 
But you know, if I I'm, I'm expecting two fifty thousand from Kano at least, for instance. Yeah. If I see five hundred thousand from Kano, we've won that election. <laughs> I'll just go and sleep because you know that something has flipped, so, has flipped in the north. You know. I mean, final question before I let you go: um, If PDP loses the twenty twenty three election, is, is is that is that a wrap? For the PDP, is that the end? Of no, 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 by no means. I mean, um, if there's anything, it was the loss of 2015 that should have killed the PDP off once PDP lost federal power. But there are people like myself, and for some of us, look, the truth is this some of us are not bothered. Some of us, perhaps, I wouldn't say we, we don't want PDP to lose, we we'll never want PDP to want to win. But until we are given a seat at the table where decisions are being taken, um, we will continue pushing within the party and letting the party understand that, look, we saw this thing coming. Um, you know, we saw a lot of these things coming. Um, so if it's going to take, you know, a couple of... But, but then you have to understand it from also the perspective that we as Nigerians, I mean, Nigerians affected by the misgovernance of the APC. And I know that if APC wins in 2023, the next president is going to be worse because the message from the voters is that what Bari did to us is not enough for us, you know, suffer, give us more suffering, basically. <laughs> that's what you are That's what you are saying to them. So I'm afraid I'm afraid for myself as a citizen and that PDP is going to be fine. Okay, PDP is going to be fine. <laughs> in fact, some leaders in PDP might even defect mm. to APC and still be in government. We saw it happen in 2015. I mean, the same elder Gosde Urubebe yeah. who was at the INEC office in 2015 screaming, is <laughs> now an APC member. <laughs> so it's so you will always have that politicians will be fine. Yeah. But how about we as citizens? Um, for me as a person, if PDP loses, I'm going to stick with the party and I'm going to keep on saying, look, start listening to those of us who are young and who are telling you that these are the things that we should run on and so on and so forth. But my life as a citizen under the APC, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I, I wouldn't be so happy. So I think, you know, for all our sakes, um, I'd like PDP to win in 2023, really. I mean, that's a good word to draw the curtain on this conversation. I mean, it's been an incredible conversation. With yes, Demo, and, um, Thank I you. I hope that we can do this again sometime. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Um, in, in your coming elections. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very you. much, Aya. Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Dive. Deep Dive is an Avalon Radio production produced by John Olatsunji. You can find other episodes of the podcast at Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also follow us on social media on at the Avalon Radio.